0: Somebody tells you about one story, and then you go there and see it, and you get another story. Ever have that happen? Well, that's pretty much my previous employment situation. So um, it's all right, though those things happen. God has been good to uh, our family, so we are going to relocate once again to Delaware. So we're kind of touring the tri-state area. We live. so you know our next stop maybe Jersey. Nobody goes to Jersey, right, for anything. So. Just kidding. If you're from Jersey, so I don't know where we'll end up next, but um, it's fun. Uh, And for us, at the end of the day, God pays our bills, so that's all that really matters anymore. Um, So we're all healthy. God pays our bills, and uh, I don't know what how much more in life you could ask for. Sometimes, so uh, I want to thank Pastor for the opportunity to speak. It's great to be with you again. Um, How are y'all doing? Okay. All right. Good. It's good to be saved, isn't it? It's good. You know. uh, one of the uh, most difficult questions for me personally is, uh, why do people who could care less about God, why do they prosper? Like, I don't want them to. And that's wrong. You know, it's wrong, but I don't want them to. And I don't want people who curse God's name to prosper. But they do, because there are general principles in life where no matter who applies them, you'll make money you'll prosper. If you're good with money, if you're a good steward, you will prosper. God does not come down off the throne and zap people or take away all their money or do things to them. He gives them the ability to live for Him or against Him. Like, Have you ever wondered that? Like, Have you ever wanted to just text God? Hey God, like, why? Why does it seem that I can't get ahead in life? Why does it seem that life is not... Okay, like, why do bad things happen to me? I do good all my life. I'm a good person. You ever have somebody ask that? I'm a good person. Why do bad things happen to me? Why? Have you ever asked the question, why? Like, why is it worth even being good if, you know, doing that, all these things are going to happen to me? What's the point of living if I'm not going to be rich and successful and good looking? Like I mean, I'm good looking, but the rich and successful, that's questionable. Some of y'all to see you laugh. Like, how do you live the right way in a wrong world? How do you do that? Like, the world is wrong. Don't you ever feel like something is wrong? And everything is going great for everybody else but you. I know you're not supposed to, but like, aren't you just like, you know... Uh, Allie and I, we don't play the lottery, but sometimes I'm just like, I would like to see if $10 million is really going to make me a bad person. Because there's a lot I could do, I feel like, you know, before I get to that point. And, you know, there's a great book in the Bible, and the book is Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a book of kind of the unanswered questions in life. Like, you ever ask those questions, and you feel like you text God, and the only thing you get back is the three dots? Nothing else? You're like, thanks for the help. No thanks, I guess. Like, sometimes they're just questions that it seems the answers on this side of eternity elude us. They just don't come. Or when the answer comes, it doesn't seem good enough. It's not enough to satisfy. Like, maybe somebody you cared about and loved, they died. You prayed for them. You thought they were going to be healed, but they did not. Why? You know, there are just some questions in life that seem like they are unanswered. And Ecclesiastes is the book that answers, or does, I think, a really good job of giving us some principles that will help us to answer those questions. Because I think that sometimes those questions come and people get derailed by those questions. They can't answer them. Or the answer that they have is not enough. Or the God that they feel they serve isn't enough. And so at that moment, they trade in the most important thing in their life, their relationship with God. Because they don't have an answer to the question. And people don't like to have questions unanswered, do they? Sometimes my wife will ask me a question, and I just ignore it. And she's like, she's like I know you heard me. And, you know, I mean, I just ignore it. Like, I don't, I don't want to answer the question. Like, and that annoys her. And I don't do it on purpose to annoy her. Maybe sometimes, but, you know, but, but the idea is that it's frustrating. When you, answer, when you ask a question, you want an answer. And you know, not all the questions that, that her and I would ask each other are as grand as the questions you ask God. Those are huge. They're big questions you want an answer. So these three principles I'm going to share with you from Ecclesiastes will help you even when God does not give you an answer. To make sure that we're all like on the same page, have you ever asked God a question and He hasn't given you an answer? Okay, alright, okay. Some of you just want to make sure, like if it's just me, that's fine, and I will preach to me. Alright, and you just entertain me. But I know that you're out there. It happens. Alright, so there are three principles that we glean from Ecclesiastes that will help us. One, the first one is this. That we are all impacted by the fall. What am I talking about when I talk about the fall? Like, not winter, summer. The fall. Adam and Eve in the garden. We are all impacted by the fall. Every single one of us. And even during the wonderful and prosperous time of Solomon's reign, which he's the one who wrote Ecclesiastes. Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth. He's writing Ecclesiastes and he's talking about how worthless life seems. How meaningless life seems if you don't pursue the right things in life. Solomon had all the women he wanted. He had all the money he ever wanted. This guy was the man. Nobody was wiser and had more wealth than Solomon. And he is considering everything in his life and what it's gotten him. But even during the wonderful times of His reign, innocent children still died. People still did evil things. Evil still tormented and tore apart the earth. As a matter of fact, uh, it says in the Bible that all of, all of creation groans because of sin. We are all impacted by the fall. Solomon's reign was perhaps the greatest And, he could not escape the curse of God in Eden. It was still an ugly presence. The curse on man was not reversed. People still sinned. The book of Ecclesiastes uses several themes that can be discovered in in all of the Bible from the beginning to the end. Genesis to Revelation. God's curse upon creation because of Adam's sin has bent the world against God's original goodness and against humanity's hope for justice and for us to be satisfied. Don't sometimes you just want the right thing to be done. You want justice. For yourself. For others. Sometimes, evil people do evil things. And it's not your choice. It's not our choice. You wouldn't want it. You wouldn't hope for it, but they do. Why? Because of the fall. Because of the fall. The fall impacts us all. Death ends all the earthly joys of the home, of your relationships with your, uh, uh, your, your, your kids and your grandparents and your parents, and, and, and everything that you will want to do in your business. Death ends all of it. And it's the same for people who are both good and bad. Some of you are like, man, this is depressing. I know. And it's great. gets better. Hold on. This does not seem fair. And in the short run, it's not fair. Ecclesiastes describes in graphic and realistic detail what life has been like since Adam sinned. It portrays the devastation of, of the consequences of sin that stretched the whole way from the beginning of the Bible until the very end. Death takes everyone. God's Word says that it's appointed unto man once to die, and then what happens? The judgment. All of us. Solomon does not waste time in making us aware of something about life. It does not always work out in a nice way. Oh, it would be great if it did. I read these children's stories to Harrison all the time, and it's like, boy, life in these books is great. I feel like I want to jump in. But that's not life. It does not always work out in a nice way. In Romans 8, 18-22, Paul quotes from, Ecclesi- uh, from Ecclesiastes. And he says, for the creation was subject to being what? Do I have it up there? Frustrated. Frustrated. You ever get that way? Frustrated? Ever get frustrated at someone? Don't point to the person next to you. <laughs> or up here. You can't point up here, hon. All right. Frustrated. And the word he uses for frustration is the Greek equivalent of this Hebrew word hebel, which speaks to the idea that everything is worthless. In vain. It's all in vain. Ever feel like that? Life is in vain. It's all in vain. It's worthless. Meaningless. And so, in Ecclesiastes, we find that because of the fall, there are these things. There's a commonality of death. There's the oppression of the needy. There's the problem of those who suffer innocently for no reason. There is this discontentment. You ever get that discontentment inside of you? I get that every time I walk into like Walmart or somewhere where there's a huge TV that I can't afford. I feel discontentment. Like went over to someone's house and there was this huge TV on the wall and I'm like, mine is so small. But then uh, it was, I was hanging out with a student and they had like a real small cell phone and I was like, ha ha. The big one. They're like, don't do that. That's wrong. But I had to have my moment, you know. But this, t- you ever feel like just discontentment in general? <clears throat> and then there's the universality of sin. However, the Hebrew word translated meaningless is rendered. The main idea is futility. But here's the key. All right, get this. Life is not ultimately without meaning. But it is futile because what people often start out to do escapes them in the end. That's what Solomon is saying. He's saying that people hope for long life, for happiness and health, but you can't count on these things. You can't put all of your joy in long life because some people, their life is cut short, isn't it? You can't put all your hope in wealth because, look, all of us, we ain't rich. You can't put all your hope in your work because your work it might terminate you, or you might not be able to do it anymore. You can't put everything in that because if you do, then it's worthless. Solomon, he's considering all these things. The great thing about us is that we don't have to get as old as him to understand it, to realize it. Solomon, he's looking back and he's saying, look, life is meaningless. It's confusing. It's pointless. If all of your pursuits are anything but God." At the end, we're going to see at the very end of the book, he says this. And it's, it's, I mean, it's so plain, but like it's profound. You ever have something, you know, you ever have somebody say something so simple and you're like, whoa, that was amazing. At the end, Solomon says, I've considered everything and here's the conclusion, here's the conclusion of the matter. This is it. Fear God and obey His commands. That's it. He says, I've considered, this is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and obey His commands. Well, boy, that's, that was deep. I mean, I thought you were like a, a philosopher, Solomon. That was pretty deep. Alright, so we'll get to that though. But here, the the idea is that, look, he repeats that life is meaningless. Chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 11. Chapter 23, chapter 26, chapter 14, 17. He, he, he goes on on and on. But the idea, the writer stresses the reality of this age. That death puts an end to all earthly projects. All of your projects, whether they are good or bad. All of our plans, whether it's to honor God or to do our own thing. Death puts an end to all of them. And so, because of this, he talks about how people chase after the wind. He uses this. Chasing after the wind. Life is chasing after the wind. You ever feel like you chase after the wind? See, that's what happens. Solomon observes it like people who chase after wealth is it ever enough no it's never enough they keep on like, chasing after it. it's like the wind it's always eluding them always blowing always going ahead of them it's never enough solomon says the idea that i'm I, i'm chasing after the wind it's like a tumbleweed i can't seem to grab it i'm chasing after it maybe it's popularity maybe it's a promotion your job whatever i'm chasing after all these things or it's earthly materials like, do you ever have enough stuff? My wife and I, like, we think we have a lot of stuff. I mean, we don't, but, you know, we just... I mean, it's stuff. Like, here we went from a small place to a big place. Do you ever go from a small place to a big place? And so we realized, like, there were open spaces. Open spaces are evil. So what do you have to do with open spaces? You, just have, to buy, you have to fill them, right? And then we went from a big place to a small place, and we're like... We have too much stuff. So then we had our apartment plus a storage unit. It's like this is way too much stuff. You know, but to somebody else, it's like that's all you have. It's like we're gonna play this game like I'm chasing a tumbleweed. It's ridiculous. Like who's who who's in charge here? The stuff or me? Solomon says, Look, chase after the wind. Life is not worthless or meaningless. It's just unpredictable. And in the end, it ends in death. Sorry, Solomon's saying, look, this is not necessarily what you want to hear when you wake up in the morning, but it's truth. Life is unpredictable. Ecclesiastes is a book that's scattered. You ever read it? It's all over the place. You ever read Proverbs? It's just scattered, isn't it? There doesn't seem to be any order. So Ecclesiastes is scattered because he's trying to prove a point. This is how life is. It's scattered. You're all over the place. But... The book's wisdom seeks to show how you discover the meaning and worth and living in such a crazy world. The reality is that us, you and I, we are in this craziness and we are watching everybody else in the rat race, but we are not to be in the rat race. We're not to be in it. And look, this is the Old Testament, so God has placed Israel right in the middle of all these rebellious countries and peoples, they're pagans, the Bible calls them, they're people who don't serve and worship God. Israel is right there in the middle of all of them, and their job is, is to show the other people that Jehovah God is, is the only true God, and that everything that they do to worship their other gods, that's not the right way to live. So what does Israel do? Instead of worshiping and, and, and obeying God, Israel turns and serves the other gods. Oh man, that looks like a party. I'm going to go over there. And so they blow it. And, and look, you and I, we are, to, we are to be in a bent world. But we are not to bend. Right? We are to be the example. Look, we're not going to chase after the wind. Don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in the meaningless of it. It's meaningless. Don't get caught up in it. Yes, we are all impacted by the fall. Absolutely. But don't get caught up in that. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Solomon is trying to say that this is how we do it. So the question is, how do we approach life in light of the fall? Really easy, really simple. Number one, enjoy life. Enjoy life. Ecclesiastes uses this phrase, uh, that it is good for man, dot, dot, dot. There isn't anything that's better than it goes on, dot, dot, dot. And Solomon uses that phrase numerous times in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 8, chapter 9. And what he says is that he says the, uh, you and I are to eat, to drink, and enjoy life. Now when he says drink, it's not like the local bar. What, why is that the only usage for the word drink anymore? Like, but that's not the idea. The idea is that you eat, you drink, you enjoy the toil of your labor. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. So many people today aren't enjoying life. As a believer, shouldn't you enjoy life more? But some people, it looks like every day somebody shot their dog. At the end of the day, their dog came to life only for you to shoot him the next morning. It's like, you are a believer. Enjoy life. Enjoy it. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. You work hard. Enjoy it. Without getting trapped up in the rat race. Enjoy it. Enjoy life. Number two, realize that life is just like cotton candy. The other day we went to Hershey Park and uh, Harrison had cotton candy. Dude, that, it was blue. Cotton candy is a parent's nightmare. I mean, because his hands were uh, sticky, oh, all in his hair and his face is blue. I'm just like, good. It's like a Smurf. Like, you know, it's, it's cotton candy everywhere. It's just uh, everything sticky. And, but look, that's how. When you put cotton candy in your mouth, what happens to it? Quickly, doesn't it? That's how life is. It's like cotton candy. That's what Solomon's saying. Life is like cotton candy. It's here, and it's gone. And because of it, because of that, how are you going to spend your life? (laughs) Uh, Look, he's not being like a pessimist. He's not trying to have a cloud come over, you know, like a rain cloud. He's not trying to shoot down your balloon. He's not trying to do that. He's not trying to rain in your parade. He's trying to tell you, "This this is what I've discovered about life. That there is this... It just It's here and it's gone. Uh, I think it's maybe uh, Isaiah who says that the grass grows and quickly it fades. That's how life is. God's eternal work, though, abides forever. And this should be your hope. This should be your focus as a believer. The work of God. Things, Jesus says, that will not rust. Remember, doesn't He say, store up for treasures in heaven? Things that won't rust? Those things are People. People won't rust. People won't be stolen. The idea is that we are to focus. For now in this life, people are not to put their hope in human works. But you can and should enjoy them. That's what the writer's saying. Next, learn to manage your expectations in life. Look, life will not always go your way. People will make choices that hurt you. Some things you and I may not understand this side of eternity. Good and bad things happen to both good and bad people. The Bible says that the sun shines on the just and the unjust. That's just the way it goes. Your neighbor who doesn't care about God, he or she may get a promotion. It's just the way life goes. I know you want to walk in your house and slam the door and look at God and say, where's my promotion? But that's just life. That's life. That's the way it is. What you and I do is we begin to take it personal. We begin to shake a fist at God. We begin to become entitled. We begin to say, look, God, I deserve. And Solomon says, "Uh, it's not really the way it is. I mean, really, what would you and I deserve if we were honest? I don't know. Maybe it's good that we don't get what we deserve. Lastly, understand that all of life lacks purpose apart from God. Solomon is the wisest person in all the earth. Wisest. Like, he wrote the IQ test. He wrote it. Knew all the answers. And he says that without God in life, it's meaningless. It's without purpose. It's not going anywhere. There's nothing you can pursue outside of God that will ever give you what you ultimately desire. That's why if you chase other things, you are chasing the wind. It's worthless. Without God, it's worthless. <clears throat> we are all impacted by the fall. But if you and I can have the appropriate perspective, then we can maintain a biblical outlook on life. And we will not cash in our relationship with God just because of the fall. Alright, we're all impacted by the fall. One. Two. Life takes place in seasons. This one's difficult for us to understand. Seasons. Ecclesiastes 3 speaks of the reality that life is experienced in seasons. This is, about, here, Pastor Stan, this is for you. The old Beatles, was it the Beatles song? There's a time. There was what is it? What, what is it? There's a uh, time. Yeah, for a turn, is it the turn, turn, turn thing? I'm not going to sing it, but. How many of y'all know what we're talking about? Any, any live in here? Yes, okay, all right. If you don't know, it's not a big deal, but there is this very well known song. About there's a time to laugh, a time to mourn, blah, blah, They stole it from the Bible, all right? So it wasn't a good idea to begin with. They're thieves, all right? So don't listen to it. They're stealing. They're stealing from the Bible. God wrote it first. Solomon, actually. But and the song speaks of what you see in Ecclesiastes. There is a time to plant. There's a time to harvest. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to rejoice. There's a time, a time, a time. You know, it goes on. And the idea is that life is experienced in seasons, Seasons. There are seasons of life. There are good seasons of joy. There are good seasons of blessing. There are good seasons where you get up and it seems like God, the angels are there in the shower with you, and the birds, they're you know they're singing outside your window, and like your hair is awesome, like in the movies, you know, like you can like we were watching a James Bond movie the other day, and the guy's like kung fu and everybody whatever, and has perfect hair the whole time. It's like why can't I do that, like? You know what I'm saying? So Then, there are the bad seasons. There are the seasons of confusion. The seasons of loss. The seasons of hurt. Seasons of pain. Seasons of disappointment. Seasons of depression. It goes on, 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 on. Here's the problem. People believe their seasons are permanent. And they can't see past the season. And in that season, they get trapped. Now, you can get trapped in a good season and you believe that's permanent. And so you're not prepared for a bad season. Or you get trapped in a bad season and you slip into depression and you believe that's permanent and there's no hope for it to ever be good again. And you and I are quick to develop ideas about who God is based on the season we're in. You can't do that. God is God over the season. And the season will change. The Bible says that crying comes in the night, but joy in the morning. Weeping and sorrow in the night, but joy in the morning. Not that it's always that order, but the idea is that it will change. Seasons change. Ecclesiastes is a book that's hard to understand, it lacks organization. Sometimes it talks about good. Sometimes it talks about bad. And it very much mirrors life. It's helping to prepare you for life. Look, Christianity is not all bunnies and candy canes and and, and whatever else makes your day. There's no pot of gold somewhere to be discovered. It's It's not how it goes all the time. Solomon says, I'm not going to choose to give you that because that version is not true. And he says, look, I'm smarter than you, so listen to me. I'm the wisest of them all. I'm going to tell you how it is. So Solomon uses the phrase, under the sun. And what that means is that when he says that, he's talking about everything he's observed under the sun. All his observations on earth under the sun. Now, they are not divine observations. It's not based on a, some sort of... Um, uh, what he's not doing is he, he's not looking at life through a godly perspective, all right? This is like the person who doesn't live for God at all, not Christian. All right? Maybe somebody at your work or somebody you know or whatever. How they see life, this is how Solomon sees it. Under the sun, without God. Okay? So he, he does this. All right? He does this 20, 28 or 29 times. Under the sun or under heaven, he uses the phrase. It defines the outlook of the writer as he looks at life from a human perspective, not from heaven's point of view. He applies his own wisdom and experience the complex human situations and tries to make some sense out of life. Solomon wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what he wrote was what God wanted His people to uh, have in mind. But as we study, we must keep Solomon's viewpoint in mind. He's examining life under the sun. Solomon does not stop to consider what God may be trying to teach him in these seasons. For Solomon, he's been grinded down by life. And all he's going to do at the end is die. Isn't that a terrible way to see life? Now, some people don't see it as the grind and then death. They see it as a party and then death. Woo-hoo! A party and then death. And somehow they believe that they could party on earth, and then there's another party in eternity. They're a party the whole way through. But their life doesn't have any kind of eternal perspective. It doesn't have any kind of godly viewpoint or perspective. You and I cannot look at life just under the sun. We have to look at life above the sun. Above heaven. We have to bring God into our perspective. If we don't, we're going to be derailed by life. You're going to develop either one of two complexes in your life. You'll believe that everything in your life should prosper all the time. And that if your relationship with God is right, you should have health and wealth 24-7. If that's the case, then God hated the Apostle Paul. man was shipwrecked, beaten, and everything else that happened to him. Where was his health and wealth? certainly wasn't on this earth. Or you're going to develop another complex that God hates you. He despises you. He's always against you. You're always doing bad things because life doesn't go your way. There's always darkness over you. That that cloud in the cartoon always hangs over the person. That's you. And is that a right way to view life? Absolutely not. It's seasons. Seasons change. Some things happen. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. You don't be derailed by those. You don't lose the perspective. You're not trying to evaluate life under the sun. You and I know better. We're Christians. Our evaluation is not simply what we see with our own eyes under the sun without God. Hopefully you know that at least. That that all of life that comes at you you let it come through God before it hits you first. You let it come through the Word before it hits you first. That way it doesn't derail you. Seasons of life. We have to learn how to live life in seasons. See, if it's a difficult season, you, you, you may hear statements like, God doesn't love me. God's not really interested in my life. Maybe God's not real. People who have been believers for 20, 25 years, all of a sudden one day they wake up and God's not real. Really? How does that happen? Well, they're in a season. And it derails them. Or, you have a season of blessing. You may hear statements like, serving God means you'll be financially blessed all the time. If you follow God, everything will be great. If you just believe more. Like, how many people, how many of you in here are like, you're tired of believing? You've been believing for a long time. And you're looking at your 401k and it's still there. Like, Believe harder. Mm, squeeze out a couple more zeros. We love to do that. Look, that's not the way it goes. Why? Because your perspective in life is not under the sun. It has to be above the sun. It has to be a heavenly perspective. You don't chase the wind. You, don't get, you, you aren't derailed when bad things happen. You, 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 aren't, you aren't like a kid who picks up his toys when things don't go your way and pouts off to the corner of the sandbox. You don't do that. You're balanced. You aren't like a tumbleweed. And you're not chasing the tumbleweed. You are balanced. You are balanced in all things. It comes your way. You take it. And he says, the writer, he says that there are times to do things. What I'm not saying is that you be like a robot through life. And that good things happen and you don't smile. Bad things happen and you don't cry. Like, I'm not saying that. Doesn't he say there's a time to do that? There's a time to mourn. There's a, t- there's a time to do that. But look, you take its time and then it moves on. Seasons. You have your time to mourn. You have your time to be confused. You have your time to question. And then you process and you move on. You do not get stuck there. You're always moving. You're always considering life above the sun. Not under the sun because it doesn't make sense. It's meaningless and purposeless without God. And you are in the rat race. I was just reminded what it was like in this area. We were driving. We were trying to merge from uh, 270 on the Shady Grove. Good grief. Because the people are coming. You all know where I'm talking about, right? The people are coming out behind you. And like, we almost got run over. I'm like, good night. Like, where are you going? Hopefully you're going to church that fast. To get a seat in the front. Amen. I like to think it was that way. But, but it's just like, dude, slow down, man. Like, it's just, you know, people, their life. Is a, is a pursuit towards what? Towards wealth? Solomon says it fleets, it fades away. When you die, you can take any of it with you. Well, I'm running towards popularity. Well, good luck with that. They like you one day, they hate you the next. I'm running towards good looks. Well, good luck with that. In the end, everything sags, anyways. Hopefully later than sooner. Look, what are you going after? Solomon says, I've considered all of it. I've done all of it. I've had the looks. I've had the relationships. I've had the jobs. I've had the money. I did all of it. Believe me when I tell you, it's pointless. It's worthless. So remember, you're all impacted by the fall. Two, remember, you experience life in seasons. Do not be derailed by seasons. You have to have a perspective that rises above the sun. lastly, Lastly, ultimate good, and so here's what Solomon says, alright? Like, the wisest guru of life ever. I remember I went to this youth conference, right? And this guy was like this youth guru. He was this expert. He took his youth ministry from like 12 kids to 3 million kids like overnight. And so it's like, dude, whatever this guy says, I'm going to write it down, right? So, you know, I have my pen and paper. I'm ready. Like, I did my arm exercises. Like, I'm ready, right? So he's like, just pray. refund. Like, where's your, like, whiff of knowledge? Like, where's your, you know, where's the practical stuff? Like, you know, do this, do that. He's like, oh man, you just pray. I mean, obviously there's more things he did than just pray, but, like, did you ever wait for the answer to life? And it came, and you're like, that was it. Like, your fortune cookie. Wait to get the fortune cookie, crack it, and you're like, that's it. It's like, you know, something good waits for you around the corner. It's like, that's it. Like, you ever went, you know, look, what, what is the grand secret in life? And Solomon says, nothing new. Fear God and obey his commands. Well, that's it. That's it. Like, how's that going to get me into the VIP club? How's that going to get me into the back room? How's that going to like fear God and obey his commands? That's great, Solomon. Sounds great. But look, he's the wisest man in all the earth. He says, Look, now all has been heard. I've heard it all. I have lived it all. I have done it all. This is like you as a parent telling your child, look, I've done that. Please don't do that. What do they do? They do it. And if they're young enough, they do it while you're white. Please don't do that. Why'd you do that? Like, you know, Harrison will do something dumb and he gets hurt and my wife is like, are you okay? And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Like, what do you think was going to happen? Like, you know, try and jump from furniture and stuff. You know, things. And I'm like, why? Like, well, you're going to get hurt. And he does it anyways. It's like, look, Batman's a movie. You are not, like, if you put a towel over your thing, you cannot fly. Like, it's a movie. It doesn't. It, it, why? Like, Solomon is the parent to us. He's saying, look, I've, I, I, I have heard all of it. All of it has been heard. All of it has been considered. And I'm telling you what the conclusion of the matter is. This is what is most important in life. Not your job, not your connections, not your popularity, not whatever you want to put in place of this, the answer is no. <laughs> All right, He says to fear God and obey His commands. That is the ultimate good in life. That, at the end of the day, is what we can count on. That we obey God and His commands. That we respect who God is as the Creator. That we fear Him in reverence. That is the conclusion of the matter. Solomon exhorts his readers to remember God before they're overtaken by old age and poor health. So what he does in chapter 12 is he describes this. Old age is described as a gathering storm. It's described as an old man. Even the chirping of birds will, make, will, will wake you up. describes one's inability to sleep. Being scared of heights is difficulty in descending stairs. As you get older, the phrase the silver cord of life snaps mean, meaning that you lose uh, the, your, your, your support of life. The golden bowl is broken is the crash of death. The water jar is smashed is the loss of life. How, how, how frail it is. The pulley is broken at the well means that the apparatus for sustaining life is ruined. So the question comes, then where is the greatest joy in life? Solomon tries to say, look, remember God while you're young because this you're going to get old, you're going to forget God. The idea is that, look, you obey God, you fear God, you obey His commands. You don't allow for the opportunity to come for you to get old and jealous and bitter and envious of what could have been because you were pursuing the wrong things. People have a lot of regrets at the end of life, don't they? And Solomon is saying you live your life in a way now to avoid those regrets. Because what will happen is you can become an old man, or old woman, right? we won't all become old men, you become an old man who at the end of your life you look back and you couldn't obtain those things. But Solomon says those things aren't to be obtained anyways. They can't be. They'll always elude you. But they're not the prize anyways. The Apostle Paul says we run to achieve the prize that is in Christ Jesus. That's the prize. The crown of life. That's the prize. Salvation. That's the prize. The applause of heaven. That's the prize. Not the applause of man because the clapping always stops. Doesn't it? Always stops. So Solomon says, what gives the greatest uh, good and joy in life? Fear God. Keep His commands. Fear God. This is not the final conclusion of the book. This is the perspective throughout the entire book. We fear God. This creates a balance for enjoying the good and appreciating the bad without tumbling into some sort of state that derails us. You fear God. It allows you to keep a sound mind so you don't become trapped in some sort of lie that's not true. That God doesn't love you. That God has turned His back on you. Keep His commands. Throughout Scripture, believers are told to take what God in His goodness gives to them. God keeps His secrets throughout the Bible. It is the wise person who accepts his or her understanding is limited. We don't like to be told that, do we? Your knowledge has an end. I I, I don't care if you were on who wants to be a millionaire or whatever else and you knew all of them without using any lifelines. You still have an end to your wisdom. The smartest man on earth, the smartest woman on earth, there comes an end. Your knowledge is limited. So the wise person is the one who accepts this and chooses to fear God and obey His commands. Ultimate joy is found in obedience to God's Word. Joy is not found in material goods, earthly achievement. Joy is found in upright living. That you live in a way that's upright towards God. What does that mean? Fear God and keep His commands. It's pretty simple, but not. (laughs) Like, fear God, obey His commands. It's pretty difficult, isn't it? It's tough for me. (laughs) The whole obey His command thing. You ever get that wrong sometimes? Fear God and obey His commands. I don't want to work so hard at building my earthly kingdom that, that I don't work on trying to obey the commands of God. The prophet... Micah he sums this up best in six in in, in chapter six uh, verse eight he has shown you oh man what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly to love mercy to walk humbly before God it condenses everything remember the disciples they're asking Jesus what's the greatest commandment and Jesus says you can pin everything all of Scripture you can pin it on this one thing to love Who? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Next one, love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes we confuse life. We make it a lot more whatever that it's not supposed to be. And here, Solomon, he narrows it down for us. He tells us, look, there's a lot of things you could be pursuing, but they're not worth it. In the end, it's not going to matter. You need to understand that we are all impacted by the fall. Good things will happen. Bad things will happen. We need to understand that we're all impacted by the fall. And so how, does that, how, how do we live life? Well, we enjoy simple things. We understand life is like cotton candy. It could be gone. All right. We, we, look. We, we have to wrap our minds around this. We understand life takes place in seasons. <clears throat> and lastly, we understand that, look, the best thing I could give you as the smartest man is really pretty simple. Fear God, obey His commands. That's it. Better sleep comes from a clean conscience laying down on the pillow and not just a big bank account. Fear God. Obey His commands. A lot of people have a lot of money, but not much else. A lot of people have a lot of you fill in the blank, but not much else. But you fear God, you keep His commands, obey His commands, then life for you here will be joyous. Because joy and happiness are two different things. And look, Solomon, he's got to help people understand at the end of his book. Your home is not here. It's not. Your home is not here. You are passing through. Pack lightly. Hold on to things not so tight. Let things fall off your back. Somebody offends you. Somebody wrongs you. Forgive them. Don't get caught up in that. You are not the mouse in the race. Your job is to show the other mice how dumb they're living. <laughs> to tell them to get off of the wheel. Get off of the merry-go-round. Get out of the craziness. Come and enjoy life this way. Fear God. Obey His commands. That is where salvation is found. i close with this story. Watchman Nee was a Christian leader in China. If you've ever heard of Watchman Nee, he shares an experience. Uh, a group of young Christian brothers were gathered together uh, one day to swim at a creek that ran through a country where they were in. And since most of the people were not good swimmers, they were careful to remain close to the bank. One of the brothers, though, got out a little too deep and began to realize that, uh, that, that he was going to drown. So he began to struggle. Realizing his predicament, he began to cry out to his neighbors who by now were out of the water and drying off. And so he began to cry, help, save me. <clears throat> and so all the while, he's screaming, help, save me. And he's thrashing his arms and his legs in the water. and He's trying to stay afloat. So here's Watchman Nee. And he knows that there's only one man who is experienced enough at swimming out there so far to provide help for him. And he turned to him for help. But strangely enough, this would-be rescuer calmly watched the man's plight, but he didn't make a move to save him. So he's just standing there, drying off, watching him drown. Why don't you do something, they all screamed in unison. But the man stood there, apparently unconcerned. After a few moments, the drowning man could stay afloat no more. His arms began to weaken, his legs grew tired and limp, and he began to sink. Now the slow-moving lifeguard dove in the water, goes over and saves him. Once all was well, Brother Nee was beside himself. He turns to the guy who could rescue him and said, how in the world could you stand by and watch your brother drown? Ignoring his cries for help and prolonging his agony. What's wrong with you? Could you imagine the scene? It's like, What's wrong with you? But the man calmly explained, look, if I were to jump in immediately and try to save a drowning man, he would clutch me in panic and pull me under with him. In order to be saved, he must come to the end of himself. He must cease struggling. Cease trying to save himself. Only then... Can he be helped? The spiritual lesson here is hard to miss. Neek concluded, and we also conclude that just as a drowning man cannot be saved until he stops struggling, so all who would be saved by Christ. When we come to the end of ourselves, then God is able to rescue us. Solomon shows that in all of these things, you are trying to save yourself. You are trying to build up yourself. You are trying to swim against the current. You cannot yourself. Only when you decide, as Solomon did, look, this is the end of the matter, only when you get to the end of yourself can then God help you. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you are the drowning person. You cannot even begin to understand life lived above the sun because all of your life is pursued under the sun. Maybe you do not know Christ. Then you are even at more of a loss because you cannot begin to understand how to fear God and obey his commands, which is how we experience ultimate good. So you are one step behind. Maybe you're here and you are a Christian, you have a relationship with Christ, but you have discovered that as we take a look at Ecclesiastes, that you are chasing after the wrong things. I want to take a moment and just give an opportunity to respond to that this morning. Alright, so we're going to have a time for both of those categories to respond. And I trust that I think that might include all of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much, Lord God, for Your Word. The truth of Your Word. God, I know myself personally that I get easily wrapped up in the pursuit of things that do not matter. Not pursuing You and Your kingdom purposes, but pursuing what the world tries to turn my head towards. Chasing after the tumbleweed that never ever seems to come into my grasp. God, I pray for us here this morning. I pray that Your Holy Spirit, Lord God, would convict and draw us and would speak to us, Lord, to, to that particular area of our life this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are behind the ball. You are not even sure how to live a life with greater purpose and meaning because you're pursuing things on this earth that do not matter. I want to encourage you this morning that God is here. That God's hand, His right hand, has never stopped saving. And this morning, He wants to save you. This morning, He wants to pull you out of the rat race and bring you into the fold, into the rest of His believers, into a relationship with Him that's life-giving. If that's you and you're here this morning, I just ask you, just as every head is bowed and eye closed, simply so that.